If you don't know me, I am Pastor Chris. I'm the associate pastor here at Calvary Church, and I'm a little more excited or nervous today than I normally am because public speaking is sometimes hard enough on its own, but it gets a little more difficult when your boss shows up in the room. <laughs> um, but I'm also a little bit more excited because this week we are kicking off a new fall series. We're going to be getting away from the back-to-school grind, and we're going to be celebrating for a couple weeks on the theme of homecoming. It's at this time of the year, I think we all start to buzz a little bit with a little of excitement for what's happening. I mean, um, Jim Morris referenced the, norm, the weather has finally begun to change. We're not going to have any 90-degree fall days anymore, which is nice. Um, pumpkins start flavoring a little bit of everything. Most of us are kind of back into that fall yearly grind. We've found a pattern again, which is great. Um, and one of the things I always appreciate is sometimes our college students or former residents start returning home. And that's really what this series is all going to be about. It's about making room in our lives, making a home for those people that show up in our lives. Um, one of the ways we like to say that here at Calvary Church most often, and some of you guys might want to mouth it with me right now, is we like to love each other. That is really where we're going to be going for the next three weeks. Um, but of course, homecoming isn't really complete without some fun, special activities. And one of the ones we're going to highlight today is Spirit Week. Um, and to kind of prepare for today, I want to figure out, like, being new to the area, my understanding of traditions is a little limited. So I thought, well, every community kind of has their own flavor to how they like to celebrate Spirit Week. So I talked to um, Celia Carey, one of our high school students over in Lockport, and I asked her, I said, Celia, what makes homecoming special? What makes Spirit Week special over in Lockport? And one of the things she said is that it really is a great opportunity for the students over there to really focus on the things that they have in common and kind of build a common court of unity in the school. And I thought that was such a great answer. And I, I love hearing our students pick up on stuff like that. Um, and then I thought about, what about Lamont? That is the namesake and the home for our church here. Who could I talk to about homecoming in Lamont? And I thought of no one better than Terry O'Neill, one of our local missions partners who, man, she lives, she eats, she breathes, she bleeds. Everything is about Lamont. And she was telling me that unlike most communities, homecoming here is like a two-the-nines opportunity. Um, the ladies go out and get formal dresses. Guys, they are formal, maybe even cummerbunds. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but they, they do limos. Homecoming is a big week here in Lamont. I thought that was so cool. But for me, my homecoming was a little different. See, I came from a small, docile farming community outside of Green Bay, Wisconsin really small, and we didn't really have a whole lot that made us particularly special, but we did have one homecoming or spirit week um, festivity or tradition that I really appreciated. I lived on the south side of town, or on the north side of town, and the, the high school was up a really easy hill on the south side. I took Main Street every single day. It was just a mile drive. That's how small our town was. It was one side to the other. It was just a mile. Um, and during Spirit Week, every year, something happened. It was almost as if it had snowed, but it didn't because snow in September doesn't happen typically in the Midwest here. But what did happen was that everyone kind of went out and they just littered the trees. It was like a blanket of white feathery tails of toilet paper just fell on Main Street. Every year this happened. And it was, I'm not kidding you, it was like Main Street turned white. It was incredible. It wasn't just one or two kids out there. It was pretty much everyone in the high school was going out, buying, clearing out our local grocery store of toilet paper. I don't know what emergencies happened that week, but the solution was on Main Street. It was incredible. 
That was a little too much, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> but like I said, it was a small farming community. So the police, I mean, they didn't really care too much. It was just, it was just another thing that happened. We were really 30 miles of cornfields separated us from any other area of interest. So crime, vandalism, when it happened, it wasn't that big of a deal because it was usually pretty small. And because of that, our antics kind of escalated year after year. One year we had pigs up on the roof of the high school during Spirit Week. Um, another week, the boys' bathroom off of the cafeteria got a fresh carpet of luscious green sod, courtesy of yours truly. In another year, the high school actually ended up on Craigslist with our vice principal's phone number attached, so he had a lot of phone calls to answer that week. Um, so parents, I'm sorry if I gave your students some really great ideas this morning. Um, but really, every group got involved, and it was so cool because those antics were, I think, one of the most vibrant opportunities that I saw our school really coming together. But unfortunately, that was, that was really about it. Um, it wasn't that my school was harsh or rude or crass or violent or anything like that, but it was just divided. Um, our school drew from three small communities. Oneida was 800 people. Seymour itself was about 3,500. And then to the west was Black Creek, and they were only about 1,500. But Oneida was actually on an Indian or a Native American reservation, so there was a large Native American population at our school. And that, unfortunately, led to some racial division. Um, what else was there? There was, there was division between our, our sports teams, our extracurriculars, our basketball team. We went to state nine years in a row. That is a national record. Go Seymour Thunder. But unfortunately, that led to a lot of division in the other groups because they always felt less than, because their accomplishments, no matter how great they were, were overshadowed. And then there was other stuff like Seymour was a bedroom community for, the or for Green Bay and Appleton, two larger cities nearby. So a lot of people, they lived in Seymour, worked in Green Bay or Appleton, did really well for themselves. And there was some economic division between those families and those others that, you know, they came from generations of struggling dairy farmers. And so there was just this division that kind of was an underlying tone. Like I said, it wasn't rude, it wasn't mean, but it was there. But when Spirit Week came, we wore the same colors, we played all of the same pranks, and we cheered for the same terrible, terrible football team that could never pull off a homecoming win. So we at least had a few small things to kind of gather around. So I want to wonder, I guess this morning, what then can Spirit Week, you know, do for the church? What does Spirit Week mean for us? In Christianity, we have a few seasons throughout the year. We've got um, Holy Week, which leads us up to um, Jesus, the celebration we have of Jesus' death and his resurrection on the cross for us. Um, that's a wonderful week we celebrate. We also have the, week or the weeks leading up to Christmas, which we call Advent, um, and that's our celebration of Jesus, or God sending his son Jesus as a baby into the world for us to finally have a personal connection with God himself. But we don't really have a spirit week in a sense, but we do, and some of you are already guessing, as we know, have a spirit. And the spirit unites us you know, I really just want to argue this. The Spirit unites us far better than any small commonalities we're going to have together. Way better. Um, he unites us better than team colors. He unites us better than a building. And way better than any sports team could ever hope to. Especially if you cheer for the Bears. <laughs> but let's wonder today, aside from those divisions, what 
what does the Holy Spirit do to unite us? How does the Holy Spirit unite us? But to answer that question, we need to understand who the Holy Spirit is. A few months back, we journeyed through a series on the Holy Spirit, and we found out that when we look at Scripture, Scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit is for all existence, one being, three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, regardless of time. He's always been, always will, and forever will be three beings, or three persons, one being. But the Holy Spirit, as part of that trinity, really exists to do one thing and do it very, very, very well. And that is to spotlight Jesus as the relationship and his relationship with humanity. And one of the ways he does that is by equipping you and I with different gifts. The Holy Spirit equips us with different spiritual gifts to show Jesus to the world outside of the church doors. And that's, the, I mean, that's really, if you're going to take anything away today, take away this, that the Holy Spirit exists to show Jesus to the world. But when it comes to humanity, being different really ever, hasn't really ever earned us a shining crown of achievement. Um, often when differences surface, we as people in our fallen nature start to rage with like a little bit of jealousy or a little bit of anger because someone has something we don't. And this tendency, guys, it's not new. I mean, when we think back to the very beginning of time, God created the first, hu first humans, Adam and Eve. It took just one generation for things to go sour really fast. Their sons, Cain and Abel, they murdered each other over a difference in their offering to God. One generation. But that story hasn't really ever changed. We still, even today, we struggle with differences. We struggle with that, that ugh, sort of feeling towards another when differences show up. And that story has repeated itself again and again in different ways, in different ways, over time, over time, over time. And often, though, we see this even in the early church. And when we talk about the early church, we often reference a guy, his name is Paul. And if you're new to the faith or new to church in general, Paul is an important person to, to think about and remember. He, I mean, he wrote most of the New Testament, and the New Testament is the second half of the Bible. But what he also was was a, a great teacher. He was a spiritual father. And I think that spiritual father sense really, I think, hits home even harder the, the urgency and the importance to love one another as a church. But Paul was a spiritual father to many people. And most of the churches he wrote to were in places in, in Greece and in Turkey. And one of the churches he wrote to was in the city of Corinth. And Paul wrote the Corinthian church a letter because he heard he heard that their church was dealing with some big division issues. They were divided over how they were supposed to act as believers. How were they, how were they supposed to conduct themselves? That was a question they were wondering. They're also wondering, you know, we have this one Christian teacher, he's really good, and we have this other one, she's really great too, but we have this other one. They started to argue who was best, who was the best pastor, who was the best teacher to follow. Unfortunately, it's kind of nice sometimes to hear that things don't really change. <laughs> um, but those were the sorts of things that Paul was dealing with. And there was also a lot of sin issues in that church. We're talking sexual sin, we're talking hatred, we're talking all any gamut you can think of, they were struggling with it. And Paul, having great concern for this church, said, I need to write to them. So Paul wrote this letter to them and explained to them how to conduct themselves. And in his first letter, because he had to write two, because they were that difficult, um, in the 12th chapter, Paul writes the church concerning the gifts of the Spirit. And this is one of the many times that, or one of the many areas actually, that divided that church. And it was of special concern to Paul because the gifts of the Spirit 
are supposed to unite the church. The different gifts represented in this group of believers and in the believers over at St. Al's or at Christ Community, as a global church, those differences are supposed to unite us. But what Paul saw happening was those differences were dividing the church. So Paul wrote to the church to sort this issue out. But instead of saying, hey guys, just get along with each other, everything will be great, treat each other nicely, you know, stop bickering, he didn't say that. He took a, a longer explanation to really sort this issue out. And I think that issue today is for, this explanation is for us as much as it's for the Corinthian church. And one of the first things, though, Paul says is, I don't want you to be ignorant. That was the first thing Paul said concerning the gifts of the Spirit. He says, I don't want you to be misinformed. This is so important. So I think for us today, since that's the way Paul approached it with the Corinthians, let's approach it the same way. Let's open our ears. Let's take a really attentive ear to this issue. So Paul starts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, if you want to follow along. He says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Paul was really quick and really clear to hop on two things. The first one was that the same God appoints each work, service, and gift. He, he wanted to make sure that we knew that those gifts weren't representative of different gods or different people. It was all of the same God at work. But catch this, because it's really subtle. Just as there is a variety in the same Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, the same Lord, which is Jesus, and the same God, which is the Father, there is a variety in his people. Just as there is a variety in the Spirit, Jesus, and the Father, there should be a variety in us. We are intended to be a reflection, actually, of the Trinity. That's what Paul's saying here when he addresses each one of those areas with each one of the areas of the Trinity. We're supposed to be a reflection of him in our gifts, in our service, and in our works. But that brings us to the second point that Paul was quick to hit on, is that God calls us differently. You know, a lot of times, especially in our American mindset, we like to say we are created equal, which is true, but we are also created different. God's called us differently. So the three items I want to look at are the, the words working, service, and gifts. Working here is associated with like energy or power, and more literally, those are the miracles or display of God that we can see. The second word is service. Other translations use words like the job or the office. So in that sense, think like pastor, preacher, teacher, evangelist, apostle, a role like that in the church. And then the last one Paul uses is gifts. And Paul develops this much greater in the verses ahead in 7 to 11. But these are demonstrations in us, in you and me, demonstrations of the Holy Spirit in us to do what? What does the Holy Spirit exist to do? To spotlight Jesus. So these gifts are given from the Spirit to us to show the world Jesus. So, Paul describes some of the gifts here. He describes the gifts of the Spirit which are those most distinct manifestations of God in our lives. But this was the area that, this is one of those areas that was causing so much dispute. So what does Paul say here? Verse 7, he says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. 
To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. And to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. And to another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still, to another, the interpretation of those tongues. All these are the work of the one and same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So let's lay this out. Let's put it all out on the table for us to see. First, Paul indicates in verse 7 that every single gift, every one of them, is for the common good. Meaning that even though one person, let's say it's Brian Tracy this morning, gets one gift, it's not for Brian. It's for the rest of this group. It's for the rest of the believers. It is for the world. It's not just for him. It's for everyone else. And Paul is clear right out of the gate that these gifts are intended for others. But Paul lays out only nine. How many fingers do I have today? Nine gifts. He lays out only nine of them. So there are three important notes that we really need to take away. So if you're going to write anything down this morning, these are great notes to write. The first note is that this is not a comprehensive list, not even close. This is even half of the full list of the 25 different spiritual gifts that Paul references in other places of the scriptures. This is just a small segment. It is not all of them. So that is the first note we need to be extremely clear on. The second note is th- this is why. Because these nine gifts likely caused the most division. These are, honestly, as we read through them and as we describe them in a little bit, some of them are a little odd. They're a little goofy. They're a little silly. They don't make sense. They're not natural because they're supernatural. But these nine gifts were probably the ones that caused the most division in the church. So I want to say, let's not let these gifts cause division for our church today. And the last note here. Paul's language continues to indicate that there's a variety in the gifts, and there should be a variety in us. Because he says, to one it is given, to another it is given, to another, to another, to another, and still to another. There are different gifts because there are many different people. So, what are the nine gifts that Paul references here? What are the nine supernatural ways that the Holy Spirit equips us to show people who Jesus is? The first one is a message of wisdom. Um, For those of you that have been in the church in a while, this story might be familiar, but for for those of you that aren't, in the very first church, there was a guy. His name was Stephen. He was given by the Holy Spirit a message of knowledge. He was given this message because he was in front of a group of religious leaders who hated him. They hated Jesus, and they wanted that to be stopped. So what happened was the Holy Spirit gave Stephen a message of wisdom, which Stephen then communicated and gave to those religious leaders saying, this is who Jesus is. This is why he came. This is how you missed them. Don't miss him. That's like, that is a message of wisdom. It is a divine um, message for, that the Holy Spirit gives to somebody for them to give to another. And then there's the message of knowledge, the next one Paul references. And that is a, a specific message for a specific person that you would have no idea of knowing. I guess I'm going to keep picking on Brian Tracy today, but it'd be like if I knew right now that Brian Tracy's shoes were tied together and I said, Brian, untie your shoes before you get up because you're going to fall over. That is a gift of knowledge. Unless I tied them, I would have no idea up here whether or not his shoes are tied. 
That is somewhat how a gift of knowledge works. The third one is faith. That is a supreme trust in God against all odds. Then there's a gift of healing. It's the power to cure disease that the Holy Spirit sometimes equips us with. There's miraculous power, which are events that override the powers of nature. Then there's prophecy, which is a spontaneous telling, a a telling of a spontaneous message of God for a group of people. And then there's the distinguishing of spirits. This one we often call discernment, and this one's so important because in our world, especially today, we have to deal with truth and fallacy. And I'm not talking fake news. I'm talking about the truth and fallacy of what Satan wants to put in our lives. Satan is a divider. He is a liar. He is a trickster. And this gift is important for our, group, our church as a body because it helps us notice. It helps us understand. It helps us see the lies that Satan's trying to tell us. And then there is um, the speaking in tongues. And this one actually has two different definitions kind of connotated with it. Um, the first one happens on the day of Pentecost, which is the first time ever the Holy Spirit equipped the church with gifts. And on this day, um, there are hundreds, if not thousands of people that were flooding Jerusalem for a, a religious festival. And they came from all over the world. They spoke all different languages. They were from all different races. They were different people. But the initial, like 120 disciples that were there, they were largely all Jewish. So they spoke probably Aramaic, Hebrew, um, and then maybe some of them spoke Greek, but there are all these different cultures represented. And the Holy Spirit came down and equipped the initial 120 believers with the ability to supernaturally speak a language they did not know so that they could tell everyone else in the area about what? Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit exists to spotlight Jesus. And the second connotation with um, speaking in tongues is most often, and I think more often in our circles today, associated with a personal prayer language that some of us speak towards God when our natural English words fail us. When we don't know how to express ourselves, sometimes the Holy Spirit intervenes in us to communicate directly with Christ in a very spiritual, different way. And the last one Paul mentions is the interpretation of tongues. And on occasion, there will be a gift that is given in a church in a language no one in this room understands. And someone who has the gift of interpretation can say, you know what? I feel like the Holy Spirit is leading me to let us all know that this is what has just been said. Like I said, some of these gifts are really odd, really supernatural, really not under our normal way of understanding. That's why they cause so much division. But how? How are these gifts given? Because the other the other majority of them are actually quite normal. They're gifts of things like administration. That doesn't sound all that spiritual, does it? But that is what Paul says is a spiritual gift. And we need that one. (laughs) Um, But it's natural to assume that when it comes to these gifts, that they're given to what? The most spiritual people. Sometimes it's natural to assume that. Sometimes it's also natural to assume that they are for the strongest in the faith. Or maybe it's natural to assume that, man, that person's been a believer forever. They've got tenure. They're not going anywhere. They get the spiritual gift. But if you would make any of those assumptions, I'm going to tell you right now, you are dead wrong. Because that is not how the Holy Spirit works. That's not how God works in our lives. And this is where we get stuck in our faith, because we focus too much on ourselves. We focus too much maybe on those that are around us that operate in a certain gift. And we focus more on the gift. We focus more on miracles And gifts and miracles, guys, they are wonderful. That is sometimes the proof that God is working in our world. 
But what Paul's saying here is they are not an ends in themselves. The gifts of the Spirit are not an end. Once you receive a gift or once a gift has been given, that is not where Christianity stops. What Paul says here is our priority should be the Spirit. His role to spotlight Jesus should be our priority. And not just to see the gifts and the miracles. And that's our fourth point. If you're like loving the points today, our fourth point is our, the gifts are the work of the Spirit. They're not a work of us. And Paul ends that paragraph with this, this, phrase, or this verse. He says, all of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. He distributes them to each one just as he determines. Paul is intentionally letting the Corinthians know that these gifts, these abilities from the Holy Spirit are not given by merit. They're not given by ability, but they are given by his personal unique choice. And these gifts aren't about us. They're not about me as Pastor Chris. They're not about Pastor Jim, Pastor Randy, Catherine. They're not about Bob. They're not about Jane. They're not about anyone in this room. But they're about the Spirit doing what the Spirit wants to do, and that is spotlight Christ. Paul tells us that we should have less concern for the gifts themselves, but rather concern for who they come from and where they are going to go. So what? (laughs) I think that's an important question to ask a lot of times when we hear... um, scriptural knowledge coming in is so what what does this matter we know that we are gifted differently by the spirit we know that some of these gifts are or what some of the gifts are by the spirit but what we still don't know is how does the spirit unite us because it sounds like these are a little odd they've caused a lot of division maybe some of you have experience with division from these gifts it would almost seem like let's just throw them out let's just not touch this topic let's just not touch the topic of what makes us different But Paul explains to us something very important in the last block of this this portion of text today. He says in verse 12, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Just as a body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we are all given the one spirit to drink, which means participate in. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. In the strict sense of a school calendar, Spirit Week unites people by the very small experiences they have in common. But Paul makes a very stark contrast here. He says that it's all of the differences. Those are the things that are supposed to unite us. And it's not just the gifting that's uni- that should unite us. It's things like race. It's things like economic place in the world. Those are even moments to unite us. Because like a body, we cannot thrive if we were all the same repeated part over and over. We can't do it that way. It doesn't matter how different the parts are by the Spirit, whether it's by race or social class, we will thrive because of our variety. We will thrive because we are different. And that's our fifth point, is our gifts together display Christ. All of those gifts coming together display Christ because just as it is with the body, Paul said, so it is with Christ. And this is where we find, or in the beginning, we we talked about how the Holy Spirit exists to what? Spotlight Christ in everything he does. And this is how the church displays Jesus, in coming together and doing work together. And this is where we find the phrase, the body of Christ, to mean the church. It's not about a building. It's not about a place. It's about the group coming together. 
over the remainder of this chapter, though, Paul takes, takes time again to describe what that looks like. What if each part of the body were repeated, how it wouldn't make a healthy being. So he says, I'm going to be reading this from the message, so it's a little bit more informal. Um, but we're looking at Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 18. Paul says, I want you to think about how all of this makes you more significant, not less. Because a body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all of the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. Because if your foot said, I am not elegant like hand embellished with rings, I guess I don't belong to this body. Would that make it so? If ear said, I am not beautiful like eye, limpid and expressive, I don't deserve a place on the head, would you then remove it from the body? If the body was all eye, how could it hear? If it was all ear, how could it smell? As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. And that is the same for you and I. God, through the Holy Spirit, placed all of us just as he wanted us. Because when it comes to one person displaying all of these gifts, there is only one person who demonstrated the full knowledge of God. There is only one person who demonstrated the full wisdom, wisdom of God in everything that was, is, and forever will be. There is only one person who is called the author and perfecter of faith, who would conquer all illness, who had walked on water and bent the natural laws of our world. And there is only one person who has no need for angelic tongues because he was one with the Spirit, one with the Father, and he was the Son. Jesus is the ultimate unifier because he displays all of those gifts together. He is the only person to ever demonstrate every gift. That's why our unity matters. That's how the Holy Spirit unites us. Because I thought of this many times as I was preparing, because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he did what? He took bread and he broke it, which symbolized that for us, his body was going to be broken. And I see that this kind of foreshadows the attributes of Christ at, on the cross were then broken up and seated among the church. I thought that was so incredible. I love that, that, that analogy there that he breaks himself and spreads him between all of us. The Holy Spirit spreads the attributes of Christ between each one of us in this room. And if we want to love each other, we need to show Christ to one another. And the best way that we do that is with the full, that we do that in full, is being empowered by the Spirit, working in unity to assemble all of those attributes back into one group that will reflect Christ. Because that's the work of the Spirit. We've said that time and time again. That's the thing Paul did not want us to be ignorant of. That's the thing he didn't want us to misunderstand. That the gifts together show the world who Christ is. Spirit Week, man, it unites people by the small things. But those smaller items, those are completely insignificant to create a home for those in our lives, for those others that are different from us. How far does we share the same school color really go? How far does we have the same mascot really take us in life? I think Paul would even say here that trying to celebrate those surface-level similarities will always fail to conquer economic and social differences. I think we even need something stronger than family bonds. And so for the last time, let's ask ourselves, and I'm not going to tease us with this question anymore, how does the Holy Spirit unite us? He unites us by showing us that Jesus is the greatest thing we have in common. 
Because this message, guys, Paul wasn't telling us all of this to be about gifts. This message is about loving each other through he who loved us the most, and that is Jesus. Despite the fact that from the beginning of time, our differences have always separated us. Always. But Jesus came to be like us. He loved us so much that he willingly gave himself for us and his perfect nature, and he gave that to us so that when we assemble, we display him. The Holy Spirit unites us through planting the attributes of God in us. So our challenge for this morning as we finish is this. If the gifts of Christ have been placed in us, why would we allow for division in us? So church, let us never settle for this. Let us never settle for putting our differences aside and saying Jesus is the smallest thing that we have in common. Because Jesus truly is the greatest thing we have in common. Because he is in all of us. And when we assemble, we make him all the greater. So I pray that as we leave here today, we would leave with like the full understanding of what Paul has called us to do here. Let's assemble like the Father, Spirit, and Son, three beings, or three people becoming one being. As varied people with varied gifts, let's display our one God, our one Lord, and our one Spirit to the world around us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you desire for us to live as united people, that in our unity, we would display you to the world just as the Holy Spirit desires to. You are good and you are so right to place different gifts in all of us so that we cannot think that on our own we are better than anyone else. And then also so that we can see that when we come together, you are truly a perfect God. We pray that as we leave, we have that understanding again today. Bless us as we close.